0: Well, happy Father's Day. Thank you so much for tuning in to our online church uh, community. Uh, To all the dads, we just want to say that we honor you. We love you from the bottom of our hearts and we appreciate you for all that you do. You know, Father's Day is the one time of the year when I get complete obedience from every member of my family. You know, I tell them not to spend too much money on Father's Day and they don't spend too much money. I'm just teasing, you know, my wife always uh, blesses us and spoils uh, me and one of her love languages is uh, gifting, of course. So all the dads, we just want to salute you and and thank you for all that you do. You know, there's a TikTok trend where uh, it's titled like, my childhood crush versus my husband. So they would have this music, you know, this girl be, or this wife would uh, have a selfie of herself and they would have pictures of high school crushes, whether it's Zac Efron, Taylor Lautner, or if you grew up in the nineties, Mario Lopez with a Saved by the Bell. You even have Nelly the Rapper and they would have a uh, split shot. Uh, these are the childhood crushes. Now they have pictures of their husband and you know, the husband, uh, it would be like, he's acting all goofy. He has a receding hairline, like somebody else I know, right? They have dad bods, they're dressed in complete dad gear, you know, with uh, knee high socks and a pair of new balances, polo shirt tucked in to some uh, uh, khaki shorts. And uh, it's pretty funny, actually, if you think about it. And, you know, I was thinking about it of, you know, childhood dads versus you know, dads, my actual dad. And um, when you think about childhood dads that we grew up with, especially in the 90s and early 2000s, dads are pictured like Homer Simpson, mm-hmm. Peter Griffin, um, Al Bundy, remember married with children? Uh, these are, they're almost like caricatured, fathers are caricatured in our culture as being lazy, Uh, being aloof, being overweight, uh, guys that are morons, uninvolved, um, completely inactive and benign to what's happening in their family. They're kind of like the village idiots. But we all know how important fathers are. I mean, even though we're overlooked, we're underappreciated, and oftentimes we've been mocked. I don't want to escalate things too quickly here but you, you see the importance and the how statistics reveal how involved fathers are and loving fathers they greatly affect our society in other words if you look at the trend with if there's an active dad at home how violent crimes suicide rates incarceration mental illness poverty it all goes down as fatherhood involvement goes up and so all that to say you guys is that we love and appreciate all the dads um, and today uh, i just want to have a father's day message to encourage uh, all of our dads and we're going to look at the life of david as a father we all uh, venerize right we all venerate david we all refer to him as a man after god's own heart he was a warrior, he was a worshiper majority of the Psalms were written by David. He felt his feelings, right? And David was a warrior. He was a mighty warrior of God. He was a general. He was a king. He excelled in all these areas, but he left a gaping hole in this area of fatherhood. So all that to say, you guys, is that, dads, this is not a shape up and live up to the standard of who David is, but it's actually looking at David's life, and let it be a warning for us to avoid. So scripture, not only it sets an example for us to follow, but sometimes scripture sets an example for us to avoid and not to follow. And so here's the main point I want us to uh, walk away with, and I want us to kind of live out this Father's Day. It's this, a father's love is not expressed in permissiveness, but Intentional discipline. Let me say that again. The love of a father or love itself actually is not expressed, it is not manifested in permissiveness or being passive, but a love is expressed in intentional discipline. That love is not neatly tidily, it's not neatly tied up in a bow. That love is messy and love, it takes intentional getting our hands dirty to love someone and to be involved. And so let's look at our text and how David dealt with or not dealt with his uh, parenting and how he parented his kids. And we're going to look at two examples. One is Amnon and the other is Adonijah. So let's look at how he dealt with Amnon. In 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse 21, it says, when King David heard all these things, he was very angry. He was very angry. Why would, what was he angry about? Well, David was angry because Amnon, his son, really loved his half-sister, uh, Tamar. So David had multiple wives. Amnon was the one wife. Uh, Tamar was through another wife and Amnon was sickly in love. He made himself sick because he not only loved, but he coveted and he desired and he lusted after his own half-sister, Tamar. And so he devised this plan to uh, get with her. So he, he, under the advice of one of his friends, a foolish friend, a bad friend, he said, hey, pretend that you're sick. And uh, tell your dad David. Oh, tell your my half sister. Tell your daughter Tamar to give me food and feed me from her hand. And David got Tamar, asked him the request, and Tamar obliged. Came to the room, and you know Tamar uh, Amnon was pretending to be sick, and he forced himself. Um, he made advances upon Tamar, and Tamar vehemently opposed and rejected all his um, advances but um, Tamar uh, being a, a man or Amnon rather he forced himself upon her and he sexually assaulted her and in First 2nd Samuel chapter 13 verse 20 it says that um, Tamar the daughter because she was not a virgin anymore. She was left desolate in her brother Absalom's house and she lived with shame and she became this social pariah and she became um, isolated from society. And when David heard that his very own son sexually assaulted his very own daughter, he was angry. And this is a natural reaction and it is a noble reaction. And it seems like David gets off here, that he, is, he appears blameless in this incident. He was, he was naturally frustrated, father, at his son's outrageous and evil behavior. But when David heard about it, he was angry, but there was no action. He did not do anything. However, you guys, there's more to the story because in several important and very early manuscripts of the Bible, mainly the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Septuagint. The Septuagint is the Greek version of the Old Testament. We read an additional comment. You You guys look at the text. There's a footnote. It says D on there. And what is the footnote? The footnote says this. The Dead Sea Scroll and the Septuagint add, but he, meaning David, he would not punish his son Amnon because he loved him since he was his firstborn son. In short, David spoiled his son. He was afraid to confront his son about his be- behavior, and he suffered serious consequences because of it. You see, David, he diluted, he confused love with permissiveness. What was the main point? Main point is that father's love is not expressed in permissiveness, but what? In discipline. He didn't correct his son Amnon, he didn't pull him aside. He didn't chastise him, he didn't rebuke him, he didn't even mention it. And it said earlier Manuscripts that David did this because he would not punish his son because he loved him. See, love is not permissive. Love is active, it is not passive. Love chooses, First uh, Corinthians 13, that love rejoices in the truth now how come David didn't punish Amnon for his sin against Tamar Um, there's some scholars who suggested a couple things one is one likely reason is that Amnon was David's son and that David had been guilty of sexual sexual sin himself remember with Bathsheba and therefore in the case of Amnon and Tamar he felt like he was inadequate to judge like, oh, I did the same thing, and my son, very own son, went to the next generation. He sexually assaulted someone, so it's not really my place to judge. Another possible reason is that there was no witness to the crime. Remember Amnon's friend, Jonadab? He carefully orchestrated the crime to avoid the possibility of witnesses. And so there was nowhere to prove the crime according to Jewish law. So, so in any case, whatever the reasons were, it doesn't excuse the fact that David was passive. He was permissive, that he refused to discipline his son, Amnon. You know what else? David also didn't confront and deal with his other son, Absalom. See, Absalom, full sister, is... Tamar. See, David, he could have discipled. He could have shepherded. He could have parented Absalom and says, hey, son, Absalom, I'll take care of this. You know what? You have to trust God. God is an is a avenger and he will take care of it. He will take care of it. And because David, in two times, he was passive in dealing with Amnon, and he was passive in dealing with Absalom, his two sons. Absalom waited and schemed. And because his father didn't take action, Absalom took action and killed his own half-brother, Amnon. Now, before you think like I'm using an, an obscure scripture passage to make a point, let's look at the whole counsel of God's word and let's reference another instance or example of David's permissiveness to another son, which is Adonijah. So three, in 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 6, it says, His father, meaning David, had never rebuked him, Adonijah, by asking him, why do you behave as you do? So in three separate cases, we have exactly the same fault highlighted from David's parenting style. What was his parents parenting style? He was passive. He was permissive. He did not discipline his children. In the case of Amnon, is because he loved his son and he confused permissiveness with love. And since disciplining his son would cause him anger or sadness, David thought that this would show that he did not love him, so he was permissive instead. And in the case of Adonijah, the text literally reads, David did not displease his son. David did not rebuke his son by asking him, What did you do? Why did you do this? So we can learn an example, a negative example from David's life. That first, we must know full well and we must learn the lesson that we cannot discipline our children without displeasing them once in a while. And that's because our children are sinners just as we are, and sometimes they must be made to suffer consequences for their wrong actions. Church, listen to me. Being a father is not a popularity contest. You see, there's a difference between being popular and being loved. Being a father is not based on being popular and being, and having an approval rating like a political leader or a president. It's not a merit bail. It's not a merit-based poll on happiness of kids, of the amount of bad they're getting away with or, or how much stuff that they get. It's not like um, Michael Scott, remember in the office? Would I rather be feared or loved? Easy. Both. I want people to be afraid of how much they love me. That's not being a fatherhood, you have to choose to be loved. See, love, sometimes good fathering requires that we make unpopular decisions, that we do indeed interfere and displease and sometimes disappoint with our children's lives. We need to interfere to protect them from self-destructive behaviors we need to interfere when they hurt others we need to interfere when they displease god and dishonor god my son ezra just turned seven uh, this past friday and uh, you know he has expressed multiple times that oh i love mom so much and Dad, you know, I love snuggles from Mom, and oh, Mom is, I love Mom the best. And sometimes, oh, it's like, Ezzy, I love you. He goes, yeah, but you know, you, I, I don't like that you get me in trouble. I don't like that I'm, I'm in trouble. And he says, hey, son, it's because I love you that you get in trouble, getting in trouble it's a good thing because it means that someone loves you enough and cares for you enough to interfere and to get you in, in trouble. And so, what's our action points? I have two main action points for us. The first is this number one, would you uh, write this in? Work harder on yourself than you do on your job. Work harder. On yourself than you do on your job. Guys, there's a very real irony of being great at your job but be terrible as a parent. You see, you can excel at work but be mediocre at home. There could be a real dichotomy of being amazing in the office, where you surpass all your goals, where you meet all your deadlines, where you go above and beyond what's required of you at at work, but yet you could be completely ineffective as a father, as a husband. We see this in the life of David. David was a mighty warrior. He excelled. He killed it. He crushed it as a king. Remember when Uh, when the news of Goliath came about and David um, heard how Goliath would blaspheme the name of God and his response was anger and he took action right away. But when it came to his own kids, he was passive. When it came to his own kids, he confused love with permissiveness. When it came to his own kids, he did not rebuke them or correct them or confront them or to love on them. See, we have to work harder on ourselves than we do at our job. Work harder at character uh, development. Work harder of growing in the fruit of the Spirit of love. How could I be more loving person? How could I be more um, uh, joyful dad at home? How could I be more patient and kind as a father, as a husband? See, we need to work harder at, in ourselves, in character development, spiritual formation that we do in our actual jobs versus skills and competencies. Let's look at what Hebrews says. Hebrews chapter 12, verses seven through 11. It says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Work hard, yes, we work hard at home, or at the office but we must work hard in ourselves in how especially in our intentionality to discipline our children you know it's easy for us men to put mostly all of our energy all of our calories all of our focus all of our attention or majority of our attention at work and so because we put all of our energy there we have We can be completely depleted and we have nothing left when we get home and we tell and we just kind of assign and surrender uh, the discipline to our wives or to our children's mom. We can learn from David's life in this area and that parenting is not just something that fathers leave for their wives to do. You know, it's very interesting that the great King David, the mighty warrior who killed Goliath and so many others, is held responsible for disciplining his sons. The scriptures do not say that these sons went wrong because David's wives were not good mothers. No, they went wrong, at least in part, because David was not a good father. He worked hard at being a king but not being a good father and a good parent. He did not step up and take the responsibility that was his to provide the proper limits to his son's behavior. His position as king did not excuse him from stepping in and disciplining his children. You know, uh, my son, uh, Noah, He's homeschooled now he'll be being freshman in kaiser high school but uh he goes over to our neighbor's house and you know we've been noticing that he comes 30 minutes late 45 minutes late an hour late hour and a half late sometimes two hours late and there's a couple times where we miss dinner and um you know it's like oh my phone's dead or uh, my phone ran out of battery and so Anyways, it, it, it was like an ongoing pattern and, you know, I just kind of let it slide and I was like, oh, I'll just be gracious about it. Oh, I don't want to nitpick and, and, um, and split hairs and, and kind of nitpick where he's at if he's a couple minutes late. And, and so anyways, uh, earlier this week he, was, he said, you know, I'll, I'll be back home at, you know, at 1030 in the morning. So, you know, he's the, I love my son. He does a great job. You know, he cooks breakfast for my parents, for Lolo and Lola. He cleaned up, he went on a a two-and-a-half-mile run, he exercised. And I said, hey, before you go, um, can you be back by 10.30? But he ended up being late. And as I was preparing for this message, I realized that I started confusing a love with permissiveness or passiveness. So you know, Renee calls me, hey, no one was late. Uh, 30 minutes. I, was like, I called Noah, I said, Noah, what's going on? It's like, well, you know, I tried to be early, you know, at 9.30, i was like, okay, I got an hour and a half, le- I got an hour left, 9.45, I looked at the time, and then 10 o'clock, and 10.15, I was like, okay, I'm going to help my friend out, you know, fix his guitar, and then I lost track of time, and I was 30 minutes late. I said, Noah, uh, you know, we've been letting you slide, and you know what? Uh, because you're late, you can't go back to your friend's house uh, today. And um, you're going to have to come with me to the office. And for him, it was like the worst thing in the world to be in an air-conditioned church office, to spend time with his dad and do devotions together. And so I picked him up. We, we, uh, he, re- he did his devotions. And uh, during that time, I was like, "Hey, son, I love you." And you know, I had to wait that I didn't do it in anger, but I wanted to make sure that, son, this is a life lesson. You can't, you can't be late. You know, let your yes be yes, let your no's be no's. When you grow up and you uh, go to school, you meet up. You have a, you meet with your boss, or you have an appointment, or you have a meeting. You, you can't just show up late and be haphazard about it. Like, that, okay, okay, I learned. Okay, promise, but. I was like, okay, it's like, really, do I have to spend time with you? Like, yes, you got to. And it's like, and I told him, I'll be so glad to know that this hour and a half of excruciating time with your dad, that it, it's going to bring so much pain in your life that you wouldn't want to do it again. You see, um, during this time, I was preparing for this message, you know, preparing for the sabbatical, um, taking care of my parents' medication. It's so easy to just... Uh, Be caught up in doing my job and working hard on my job instead of working hard on myself and, and disciplining my son. And number two, we'll go ahead and close with this, is make the great joy of your life to have your kids love Jesus. Make the great joy of your life to have your kids love Jesus. And for this, we'll turn to 3 John chapter 1, verses 3 to 4. Verse 3, it says, It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. So verse 3, he already has great joy. But verse 4, he explains it. I have no greater joy than to hear... And to know that my children are walking in the truth. Now, this is the same John the Beloved, who used to put his head on the chest of Jesus. John is the oldest living apostle during that time. John was a first-hand witness to the day of Pentecost, where over 3,000 people got saved from one preaching by Peter. This is the same John who experienced Jesus feeding 5,000, who experienced Jesus walking on water, who saw Jesus healing the sick, who saw Jesus perform miracles. He saw and he fellowshiped with Jesus. He saw the highs of highs of ministry and doing, having a great successful career and ministry. But for John, he said, I have no greater joy than to see that my spiritual children are walking in the truth." For him, this was the penultimate source of joy, not in things that happen in ministry, not in the things that happen in the office, not the things that's happening in his career, but he says, I have no greater joy. And back then, he's he's old. Right. And so hindsight being twenty twenty, when he looked at his life and the long life of fruitfulness and ministry and faithfulness that he has, he's like, man, I have no greater joy than to know that my kids, my children are walking in the truth. From John the Beloved to where you're at, dads, what gives you great joy? What fills your tank? Is it if the Cowboys win the Super Bowl? Is it when your favorite baseball team wins the World Series? Is it when your uh, stocks are doing well? Is it uh, when your kids are excelling academically in school? Like, what gives you joy, great joy? Well. John, who's seen it all, who's done it all, he experienced the highs and the highs. He's like, man, I have no greater joy than to see my kids, my children walking in the truth. You know, my very son Noah, um, last two weeks ago when we had Youth Sunday and I was in the front in the front row of the church for in-person service, and I see him worshiping, playing the guitar, and I just started bawling and my eyes started welling up with tears and I started crying. I was like, man, this is, I have no greater joy than to see my son, my children walking in the truth. When I think about my other son, Judah following Jesus, not living in compromise but living a life of integrity, inviting his friends to to youth group, inviting his friends to church. He takes out different kids from youth group with his own money and, and pays for their lunch as a high school freshman so that he could build relationships and he could encourage them to walk with Jesus. When I think about my kindergartner Ezra who just turned seven, he invited he tells his classmates and his teachers about Jesus and how much Jesus loves them. In fact, we have a family now who started attending church because Ezra invited one of his classmates and told them about Jesus. And they said, oh, we we love Jesus too. And their parents reached out to us. And, and now they, they're in our small groups, they're connected, they're serving. And my son had a part in that and Trust me, there's no guarantee that they will walk with them when they're older. But as of right now, like I'm living the dream. This is living the dream that I'm serving the Lord, that my, uh, my wife is serving the Lord, that we have a, a strong marriage. I see my children walking in the truth. It's like the great theologian, Notorious B.I.G. Li- it was all a dream. Used to read Word Up magazine like this is it. I'm content, you know, I've preached at mega churches before with preaching at five services and three services, preaching to thousands of people, even uh, preaching at Easter in our own church a couple years ago where we had 23 salvations in two services and hundreds of people attending church and it was good. But people come and go. You know, this church could always find another pastor. But my dad, but my children only have one dad, only have one father. And there's no greater joy than to see them have a relationship with Jesus. So just as we wrap this up, take into heart, church, be encouraged that love, Fatherly love is not expressed in being passive or being permissive, but it's it's expressed in intentional uh, discipline, because God disciplines us, God disciplines those whom He loves. We work hard, work harder on yourself than you do at your job in spiritual formation and character development, and lastly, make, the great joy, find the great joy of your life is that your children would follow Jesus. Amen? Let's go ahead and pray. So Father, we thank you for this morning. We ask, O oh Lord God, that, these fathers, that this Father's Day that you would bless all the dads. Would you strengthen the work of their hands with their priority, with their ambition, Lord God, be towards you and raising a godly family. Lord, I pray that as they do that, you would bless um, their workplace, that you would bless their, their health, you would bless their finances, you would bless, Lord Jesus, um, the work of their hands. And so, Lord, we, we honor you uh, today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us. Uh, don't forget, uh, next Sunday will be the last Children's Ark in the park. And uh, we hope to see you. Uh, online 8 a.m. or in-person 10 a.m. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May He cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. We love you guys. Have an amazing week. Take care.